All right, we're looking at overcoming anxiety and fear. I have the notes. You don't. There were too many of them, right? But let's go through it again um, and get you up to speed on it. We're talking about our thinking, right? Our thinking and our believing. And Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Uh, For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man shall fail of the same after the same example of unbelief as Israel, right? right? So we're to labor to enter into rest, which is kind of a strange thought there. But we're to labor, and we have to cease from our own works to do it. So, but here's the truth. The truth for us is this. A believing heart takes some labor. You won't have a believing heart automatically. You won't trust automatically. Uh, when we look at the great names uh, in history and in the Bible that trusted God, they didn't trust automatically. Job did not feel like trusting God the day he lost all his family. He didn't feel like it, but he knew what was right. He had made a decision beforehand, and what he had prepared in his heart kicked in. He had a believing heart because he chose to have a believing heart. You know, <clears throat> oftentimes we're soft on ourselves. We make excuses in the hard times. We can't. We didn't. We weren't able. That's not really the truth. The truth is we can if we want to. If we choose to, we can actually believe we can be strong in faith. Uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Now, here's the problem for us, though. If in the hour of trouble, we just plow into it, doing what we know to do, And don't remember uh, to look for his strength, to look for his help, to look for him to uphold us. We end up being on our own. We end up being on our own and we're living as though there is no God. And believers oftentimes live as though there is no God. Now, when it comes to our thinking, our thinking is a key element for us. And we've been looking at that, trying to calm a noisy soul, get control of our thinking, put those things in place so that we can actually think right and think straight. And it it is key to us. Now, the, the, the lesson that we're looking at now, we're looking at the idea of it going a little bit beyond the place where it's just, you know, our thinking's out of whack. Uh, but thinking that goes out of whack to the place where it becomes obsessive thinking. And we said this. We said that, you know, while probably none of us here wants to hold up our hand and say, well, you know what, Pastor, I really am a bit mad. All right? We, 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 don't, want to, we, we don't want to admit to that. But the reality is many of us have mad thoughts from time to time. Probably all of us have mad thoughts from time to time. Right? Does that scare you? You know what? The fact that you can actually recognize it is helpful. That's helpful. Yes, I can have mad thoughts. It doesn't mean I'm mad. Um, it means I've got a sin nature. And by the way, there's two models when it comes to uh, psychology and psychiatry and all the rest, right? There really is two models, right? One model is, you know, you're the center of it, and we have to work out what your problem is and kind of, you know, help you uh, to, to be all that you should be. The other model recognizes a theologically correct model and recognizes our sin nature. And because of our sin nature, we're capable of doing anything. It recognizes that we have a sin nature, but that by the power of God we can overcome sin and we can live clean and clear in a sinful world. One model works. The other model is, you know, intrinsically broken. And you've got to watch what you're getting, you know, um, from Dr. Phil and all the rest of it, you know, what they're actually telling you, because, you know, what everybody's got a model they're working from. If the model is not 
Well, man has a sin nature. And apart from God, he's, he's wicked. Doesn't mean he's going to do everything wicked he could do, but he could do everything wicked. Right? That's, that's the model we need to understand, and we, and we need to work with that. So our thinking is sometimes going to be off. That does not allow us an excuse for doing wrong. The other model does. It's the way I am. What can I do about it? It's just the way I am. You know, no, no, no. It's not just the way you are. Yeah, sin nature is just the way you are, but there's a God in heaven, and he has power to enable you not to live uh, the way you are. Right? <clears throat> so we'll trace our path from anxious thoughts to obsessive thoughts. Obsessions are unrestrained doubts. Obsessions begin with attempts to control the uncertainty by thinking through the problem and its possibilities. The uncertainties can be normal concerns of daily life or junk thoughts generated by the evil heart within all of us. Some examples would be doubts about our health, doubts about our driving, uh, doubts about our responsibilities, doubts about our physical safety. <clears throat> right? Now, let me ask you, and you have to really reconcile this one in your head, can you control life? Can you? We'll say you become the best Christian it's possible to be. Can you control life? Not a chance. You're just not big enough. You're just not, not big enough. There's no way that you can control life. Now, it doesn't mean just throw your hands up in the air and say, what can I do? It's all going to happen. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, I'm not talking about that. But we're, the, the reality is, tomorrow, lots of things are going to happen that you didn't plan on happening. Some things are more than likely going to happen in your life that you wish didn't happen tomorrow. That's just the way life is. Yeah, that's just the way life is. You know, you, you can't control life. You're not big enough. God is in control of life. Now, therein lies your security. I can't. He does. So that everything he does in life, he does for my benefit and my good. So that I'm going to face uncertainty every day of my life for the rest of my life. But it's okay. Because an omnipotent, in control God that loves me and knows what's best is working it all out. For my good, he told me, so I'm okay. Right? <clears throat> so, yes, I'm going to face uncertainty. Yes, I'm going to have things that come into the, in, into the scheme of things that just don't suit my schedule, don't suit me. But it's okay, because he's in charge of it all. Now, in all honesty, apart from some kind of a reality like that in your life, you know, I don't know how you live. How do you live in a world that can't be controlled? You know, if you try and control it all, you will go mad. It will just burn you out. And that's what we're looking at here. It's this obsessive thinking that's trying to control the outcome of everything, and it's impossible for us to do. <clears throat> you scare yourself with your own negative thoughts. You meditate upon uncertainties, possibilities, and create imaginary crises. Ever do that? Okay, so you don't know how it's going to work out, right? You've got this meeting with the boss. <clears throat> Right? And you know what he's going to say. It looks bad. You know, there's been a couple of things that have happened in the recent while that you're not happy about and he's not happy about. And it looks like tomorrow might be the day when he's going to lower the boom. Right? So you think it all the way through. Remember we said, uh, it's thinking that starts at the funeral. Right? <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to be fired. And my family are going to starve. I'm going to lose my house. My wife's going to leave me. And you know what? The whole, the whole thing is finished. 
and it's thinking that starts at the funeral, and you go, go through it, and your mind races and races and races. And you know what? You can't do anything about it. If you took the words of our song and said, I must tell Jesus and told Jesus about it, that would be a help to you. But you can't actually sort the situation out. You can't resolve it. You can't control it. But your mind kicks into this place where you're trying to. But instead of you getting any security from it, what's happening is you're getting more insecure as you think about it. Your body, body interprets every imaginary crisis of your mind as an emergency and kicks into action. You are killing yourself with your thoughts. Right? <clears throat> On most of your cars, you have your speedometer that tells you what speed you're going, and then you have your RPMs, your revs. That's the, the, the revolutions of the engine uh, per minute. Right? And on the, on the RPMs, when it goes up far enough, there's a red part. Now, I need, I need you to understand that what that red part means is don't go there, okay? Some of you need to understand that. The red part means don't go there. Don't go to the red part. Don't put the engine there. And here's the reason why, because you're putting too much strain on the engine when it's in the red uh, part. Now, sometimes you're going to get there. <clears throat> you know, that's, that, that's going to happen. But you don't stay there, right? So <clears throat> now, here's what happens, though. When you live with obsessive thoughts and you live, you, your, your mind interprets it as an emergency. And your body doesn't know the difference between a real emergency and an imaginary emergency. So what happens in your mind, your mind gets on, is going on the red line and your body's going on the red line. And it can do you in physically. You know, when you don't learn to control the thinking, when you don't learn to actually get the thinking uh, <laughs> in the right way. Okay, so uh, you scare yourself with your thoughts. Then you have bizarre obsessions occur when junk thoughts of a sinful nature, usually sexually perverse or violent thoughts, are processed through a heart that is already habitually anxious and full of doubts. Right? So what you've got is a heart that's kind of on the stress side, a thinking that's on the stress side, and then you've got junk thoughts that come in, you know, uh, something perverse, something wrong, and now that kicks in to an already overloaded situation. That kicks in there now, and now somebody's trying to process, you know, stuff that, that, that is just throwing them completely, right? <clears throat> These evil thoughts are immediately dismissed by a mature believer as reminders that his heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He thanks God for the reality check and also thanks God for the grace that is available to refrain from actually doing the things his heart is capable of dreaming of. Paul said, who shall deliver us from the body of this death? Right? He wasn't talking about little fibs that he was telling. Uh, he was having, uh, he recognized what was in him and he needed deliverance from it. Now, the mature believer says, you know what? That's just what I am apart from God. But I'm not apart from God. Lord, thank you. Lord, help me. You depend upon God and God helps you. Uh, the doubting, anxious heart takes these intrusive thoughts as just one more uncertainty in an already unsettled world. In an attempt to keep his life from going out of control, he now worries, what if I actually go through with the thoughts? What if I did that? What if I just lost the plot and just drove the car into a shop window? You know, what if I did something ridiculous like that? What if, what if one day I do take my own life? You know, and there's, a, there's already a pattern of thinking that's just out of control, and now you, you, you put something into that pattern of thinking that's out of control, and it can get really bad. And it can go down really fast. And somebody can, get, can, can really <clears throat> uh, um, get, out of, uh, get out of whack very quickly with it. And there are just two things for you to think of. Right? First of all, you don't indulge those thoughts. But secondly, don't fear them. Your sin nature is real. It's there. Don't indulge it, but don't be afraid. 
You don't, here's what happens, you see. You think, I'm losing my mind. I'm so stressed out, and now this on top, that I'm losing my mind. <clears throat> you know, I'm, I, you know what, what, what am I going to do now? What if I do one of those things? What if I just, you know, get unhinged one day and I do something really stupid, maybe kill somebody or something? I'm, and now a huge uncertainty gets in. And remember, Satan will get in there with it too. Satan loves to dig the dirt with you. He'll get in there and work you over with it. Uh, <clears throat> these kind of internal questions reveal much about the person's lack of understanding about the human heart and reveal much about his lack of understanding about the provisions God has made available so that we don't have to sin in these ways. Obsessive thoughts are common reactions of normal people to seemingly overwhelming challenges and doubts when they do not know God well. They are not crazy. They are overwhelmed by life problems and are spiritually unprepared for them. Now, catch that, right? When the Bible talks about peace, when the Bible talks about, I must tell the song, I must tell Jesus, casting all our cares upon him, be anxious for nothing. Isn't that the answer to mental illness? Much of mental illness? Isn't it? Isn't that the answer to much of it? Just, I'm going to talk to the Lord about it. He's in charge. I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm just going to bring it to him. Isn't that the answer to much of the, uh, of the stuff that goes on? Now, when you remove that from the picture and your mind begins to race and your mind begins to go <clears throat> and you've got this idea in your mind that, you know, listen, nobody else ever thought a thought like that. I am so wicked. I can't believe what's going on. I must be insane. No sane person would think something like that. And you begin to dwell on the thought because you think it's so awful. Now, now you've got a problem, right? <clears throat> Let me, let me read, we'll talk about this here. Uh, Jim Burke says this, Since he doesn't have a solution to his dilemma, the thoughts seem to plague him when they return again and again as unsolved mysteries. When he finally discusses them with someone, he is very likely to be told that he is plagued by demons, that his brain is broken, or that he must have a chemical imbalance. If he sees the physician, he will likely be prescribed an anti-anxiety medication to slow down his thinking. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know what? There'll be a good number of people in this room who at some point or other were prescribed anti-anxiety med medication. Right? Now, anti-anxiety medication is basically legalized drugs. In our wonderful country, the government pays for it. <clears throat> you know, they, they, they will give it to you. And, now, and here's the thing. Your anti-anxiety medication, what it does is it dulls you down so you don't think so much. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't resolve any problems at all for you. I'll never <laughs> forget when, when Val's dad died. Um, <clears throat> good meaning, well meaning doctor uh, came in and he gave Val's mom would have been anti anxiety medication, Valium, whatever he gave her, right? <clears throat> now, he, he, here's what happened. She she's, she's always was a very in control kind of person, kind of controlling the situation. Well, she remained thinking she could be in control. But now she was dumbed down. And so she was struggling. You know, she was struggling with the emotions now. She was struggling with not being able to control the situation. What happened for her is it actually made the situation much worse for her. And because she was who she was, she was making decisions and passing out decisions and uh, other people were trying to do them, but she was off. She was getting it wrong. Right? But, and that's what anti-anxiety medication does for you. It doesn't solve anything for you. 
just makes it harder for you to think through and solve the problems. Now listen, I don't want anybody feeling on a guilt trip if at some point in your life you had to have something because you were kind of, you, it was spinning out of control for you. But it's not the solution. It's not the solution. That's not what you need. That's not what you have. What you need to do is you need to get the thinking, and the thinking needs to get straightened out. The thinking needs to be brought in line. <laughs> and when the doctor prescribes for you anti-anxiety medication, something to slow you down and slow down your thinking, what model is he working on? Is he working on a sin model, or is he working on a you're a good person model, or just there's something wrong here? He's got the wrong model in his mind. And the reason he's got the wrong model in his mind is because that's what he was taught. But the model is, listen, you've got a sin nature. You're capable of thinking anything. Don't be surprised by yourself. Just stay close to God. So you never do anything stupid like that. That really is the, really is the, the, the ultimate answer to it. Um, the real behind-the-scenes story is that of sowing and reaping. Uh, the LSD sequence, right? He calls it lust, sin, and death <clears throat> is being played out in this life. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. In this, these cases, a strong desire to be certain about something uh, before he will let his soul rest, right? Uh, drawn away of his own lust. The lust is, I want to be certain. I want to be sure. I want to have it in, in, in control. So he's drawn away of his own lust, right? <clears throat> uh, that drawing away of our own lust what do you do with that? You know, it's his own lust. Which means everybody in here has got their own things. You know, the things that might draw you wouldn't draw me. Things that might draw me wouldn't draw you, but there's, there's, there's something there for everybody. And, and the enemy's an expert at working it out. What it is about, What do you do with those things? You're drawn away of your own lust. In this case, it's anxiety. It's trying to control something and so on. But it can be anything that's drawing you away. And it's consuming your mind. What are you going to do about it? The reality is, you can't. You need help. You need God. It's the power of God that changes those things, that enables us to change those things. It's not in my power to do it. You know, I can't control all that thinking. It's, it's the power of God I need. It's His grace. That needs to step into the situation. Uh, <clears throat> then when lust <clears throat> and enticed to do something sinful, uh, his desire like worry, then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. He gives in to worry and avoidance of responsibility. And sin, when it is finished, full grown, bringeth forth death. There is a deadening impact on every aspect of life, physically and spiritually. Right? So <clears throat> the, 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 the lust is to have control of it. But I haven't got control of it. And I might get sick, and if I get sick, I won't be able to work, and if I'm not able to work, I'm going to lose the house, and if I lose the house, I won't be able to feed the kids, and my wife's going to leave me, and right? <clears throat> you know, fit your own situation in there, you know? And, um, <clears throat> but, but what you're doing is that, that there's a lust to control it. H how would you defeat it? Lord, I can't control it. But you can. And Lord, you made me promises, and you're going to take care of me whatever happens. So Lord, I'm safe, because I'm in your hands. He said, that's a bit simplistic. No, that's, that's the only way. Because you're not in control, and you never will be. But he is. And he will take care of you. <clears throat> but when you pass by that, and let your mind engage, and you're, you're going, and your mind is racing, and you're thinking, and you're facing all these things, and all, all these problems, and everything else, that what, what's happening then is, you're giving in to it. And 
part of the, 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 the perverseness of the sin nature is that we like wrong rather than right. Right? We kind of like worrying. We kind of like bitterness. Don't we? Isn't that bizarre? Why would you like bitterness? You know, every message you've ever heard has told you it's, it's poison, it's wrecking you. Why would you, like, why would you indulge in bitter thoughts? Why would you indulge in an- anxious thoughts? Because there's something about us is that we like it and we go with it. But the problem is that when you go with it, you get caught in it. Right? <clears throat> there is a way of escape. When you pass the way of escape, you get caught up into it. And now it's churning for you. Now it's taking on a life of its own. And there you are when you begin to feel like you're mad. You begin to feel like you can't control this at all, right? Uh, obsessive anxious thoughts keep the autonomic system uh, on high alert. Much body chemistry is being changed with the result of greater agitation, feelings of panic, and thus greater uncertainty and doubt, and consequently a return to the obsessive anxious thoughts to try to solve the increased agitation. So now I'm getting out of breath. and You know what? <clears throat> it's, it, not, nothing is happening to do that to me. It's all happening inside of me. And everybody knows those feelings. Everybody knows those feelings. What's a panic attack? A panic attack is something that happens when there's nothing really to panic about, isn't it? You know, it just happens. It gets you. And that's what's happening is your thinking is producing something in you that's, that's making you, you, you... Your thinking is having your body feel, I'm in real danger now. And so your body is responding appropriately to the messages getting from your brain. And what needs to happen is that the brain, the thinking, needs to be dealt with. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so your, your system triggers panic attacks and causes other, other maladies, and, uh, and they're all diagnosed as stress-related. So here's, here's this anxious thinking can have a devastating effect on your body. High-stress living. Where I'm always stressed, I'm always on edge, and you know what, I'm, 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 I'm really pushing it, and I'm pushing it, and I'm pushing it, and, I'm, and, and the stress is really getting to me, can have a terrible effect on your health. Right? And the thing about it is, it's wrong. If you unravel your stress and take it apart, what you're going to find is you're taking on things that don't belong to you. You're taking on issues in your life that really are not yours, that you don't have control over, and you need to leave them in God's hands. You need to put them back in His hands and not have them in your hands. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, unbiblical responses to uncertainty produce anxiety, which if not dealt with can easily move to obsessive thinking. Right? And uh, mishandling anxiety <clears throat> with controlling behaviors. Like, now, I almost left this out, right? And here's the reason why I almost left this out, because I don't think as a whole Irish people have really a problem with perfectionistic thinking. Right? We're having to get everything just right. In fact, I think sometimes we have a problem in the other direction. Right? Now, uh, let's talk about it for a minute here. Uh, let's, let's talk about this idea of order in your life. Right? Now, what we're going to look at is the idea of excess order in your life. You know, where everything in the house has to be just so. Every chair has to be just in its perfect place. You know, every, every mat on the table has to be just in its right place. You know, every door has to be clean. Every window has to be perfectly clean. And if not, you're having a panic attack. That's dangerous. That's, that's obsessive thinking. But order in your life is a good thing. 
Order in your life is a helpful thing. Now, the order can't step over to the place where it's hindering you. But order is a good thing. Right? One of the problems people can have is, uh, when it comes to finances, <clears throat> they, they want everything financial, perfectly organized, and everything set up, and all the rest, and you know, everything, all, all the ducks lined up in a row. Right? <clears throat> okay? Now, again, you're not in control, so that's not possible. Right? So you just say, do what I can, it's all by faith. Whatever happens, happens. No. If you do that, you're going to increase the stress in your life. See, on either ends of the scale here, you're going to increase the stress in your life. If you go to the place where you have to have everything just so perfect in your finances, because you can't control life, you're going to have stress. But if you go to the place where, listen, whatever happens, happens, because that's the way it is, you're going to have stress too. There's There's a place... A meeting ground where you recognize God's in control, but I'm responsible for keeping order in the situation as best I can, and then I depend upon Him. Right? You see, that's a different thing. Okay, let's put it the idea of getting a job, right? Here you are, and you have no job, and so you say, Well, I'm going to live by faith. Right? Okay, so that's the one end of the scale, isn't it? The other end of the scale is if I can't have a job, I'm going to die. I can't put bread on the table, things like that, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely panicked completely. But the middle ground is this, okay? I need money. God bless his labor. I'm going to do everything I can to find a job. But ultimately, my God is in control, and he's going to take care of me. He's going to look after me. Do you see, see what the middle ground uh, in this thing is? And, and we've got to understand that, that I've got to do what I'm responsible for doing, but I've also got to do it depending upon God. You see, faith is not inaction, ever. Faith is always action that's dependent on God. Faith is me doing what I'm supposed to do, but depending upon God, knowing that me, even me doing everything I'm supposed to do is not going to make it happen. I need God to step in and do it. Right, so there's, the, the, there's two extremes here. So faith is, <clears throat> is me acting dependently. Never sitting there waiting for it to happen. Because if you sit there and wait for it to happen, you know what? Most of the time nothing's going to happen. And, and it, Because here's what happens. Our theology is wrong. Our theology is, well, God's promised to look after me. But if you look at the Bible, what you've got is you've got these promises to look after you, and then you've got these commands to work. So you tie the two together. So I'm going to work. I'm going to do the best I possibly can. I know I can't. Ultimately, I can't do everything and I can't make it happen. I'm going to work the best I can and depend upon God. Now I'm in faith. Okay, so other things. Uh, What about the home? Now, let me just talk you through it. Should you have a tidy home? Of course you should have a tidy home. Why should you have a tidy home? Because God's a God of order. And when it's tidy and clean and neat, it feels good. Right? Now, you can have two angles on this. You can have the person who says, well, you know what, you've got to live, and I haven't got time, so everything's in chaos. Right? You know, never, never, get, around to, never get around to clean the place, you know. Uh, the vacuum cleaner is always in the hall, so whenever ever somebody comes, you can say to them, I was just about to vacuum. Right? And so the house, is, the house is totally chaotic. Now, on the other side, you've got somebody who can't 
bear for anything to be out of place. And they're stressed and tense about it. Right? Now, <clears throat> that's wrong too. You see, he, he, what's the purpose of your home? What's the purpose of having a home? Is it a showcase? No. The purpose of having your home is for you and your family and your friends to have a nice place. Comfortable place to be. So you're going to, you're going to want order, but you're not going to make the order so great that you can't live comfortably in it. Val's mom has this famous story she, she used to tell. Um, <clears throat> at one stage she was cleaning the house and um, uh, her husband walked in <clears throat> and he walked on her on her wet floor and <clears throat> she, she, she let out a yell and he said, you know what, you want to be a bird to live in this house. <clears throat> And what he was saying to her was true. You know what, you're pushing it too far now. Uh, we've got to be able to live in the house at the same time. And that's what your home is for. Your home is for you to live in. So it's got to be comfortable to live in, but it's got to be ordered as well. So you marry the two. Right? It's not going to be perfect. You're not going to be able to control everything, but you marry the two. You create order in your home. You know, it, the, the order needs to be such that it's not oppressive. And it needs to be such that the chaos is not oppressive either. Because the chaos can be oppressive. Right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> let me give you my own personal illustration. Right? <clears throat> for, I'm 55 years old, right? And for most of my life, uh, I have done, worked with tools. And for most of my life, when I'm working with tools, I have had to root through a box to find tools. And I don't know what it is about me, but I can root through a box of tools... And the tool can be there, but I can't see it. So it's, it's, it's taken... I, I don't know how long I've spent, but I've spent quite a bit of time rooting through boxes for tools. So uh, <clears throat> recently, um, <clears throat> uh, I saw this idea, and I got this idea, and I, and I put all my tools on a board, and they're all in place, and I can actually hang my tools on the board. And I'll tell you what I love it. Because I know where the tool is, and when it's not there, I know Al has it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair to him anymore, right? <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I know where the I, I know where the tool is, and I know where I can go where I can go and go and reach it. Now, here's the thing: the purpose of that is to allow me to be more effective in working. What can happen though is the purpose of that becomes having nice tools that look nice, and I don't want to do anything with them because I'm going to mess them up. Two extremes: one is the chaos of everything being in the box and you can't find it. Um, the other is uh, the place where, you know what, you can't do anything because you mess it all up. You mess up your perfect system and there's stress involved in that. But it's for a purpose. It's for a function. Order is good. It saves me a lot of time being able to put my hand on a tool. Ladies, in your homes, if there's order and you know where, you, you know where to go and find the sweeping brush, that's great. Have you spent your time hunting around the house for the vacuum cleaner or the sweeping brush? I mean, that's annoying. That is just so annoying. You know, I want, to, I, I want to walk to one place and find it and be able to use it. And, you know, order is good for us in those ways. Right? We're not talking about being obsessive about it. What we're talking about is order so I can find stuff. Right? Um, what about conquering nature? Have you noticed the weeds? Now, if you notice the weeds on your driveway, if you've got, if you, if you've got a tarmac atom driveway, uh, the weeds in your garden, you know, there's this desire in us to conquer nature and to tame it and to, 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 
you know, to get it in the place where we can actually work it and use it. Now, it's pretty important to us. You know, if we said, it doesn't matter, give it two years and everything would be overgrown. And the roads would be taken over and you'd be looking for pathways. You know, give, 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 it, a, give it an amount of time and, and it gets to the place where you can't function. In it. Now, that's the one side of it. The other side of it is, you know what? There are weeds and thorns and thistles in the world, and no matter what I do, there's still going to be weeds and thorns and thistles in the, in, in the world. So I'm kind, of, I'm kind of fighting a battle against them for the rest of my life. That's what God said I would be doing uh, <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned. But <clears throat> I'm not in the place where I have to get it all perfect, because it won't be perfect. It's going to be, going to be a battle involved in it. But I don't capitulate completely and say, well, nature rules. And I don't go to the obsessive place where I've got to rule over it completely. There's a balance involved in it. You know, look at my, my home. My home is a place to be enjoyed. My, my garden is a place to be enjoyed. It's not about it being picture perfect. It's about enjoying it. You know, so there's a balance that comes in there. But there's a balance. There's always that balance. It's not a case of it doesn't matter. Sometimes we, we, what we do is we make it almost spiritual to be are untidy and disorderly. That's rubbish. No. God is a God of order. And order, somehow order just does something good to us. Makes us feel good when there's order in the situation. It's important. Those things are important. Um, <clears throat> you can take the laundry, right? Uh, you can get your laundry organized or you can spend the rest of your life uh, <clears throat> washing clothes before you go out, wearing wet clothes half the time, right? <clears throat> yep. But these are just the nuts and bolts of life. Now, we're going to talk about obsessive behavior. And I wanted to say those things to you because I don't want you going off on the idea of, well, it doesn't matter. No, it matters. Order matters. It's really important to us. We can't control it completely, but we want to have order. You know, really, if you look at the history of mankind, what mankind has been doing since way back is he's been progressively bringing order into his life. Right? You know, the, the earliest stories would be of men who were hunter-gatherers. Right? And, they, and they wandered around and they, and they, they went, hunted berries and they, and they wandered around and caught animals and so on. But then they said, now, hang on a minute. What about... What about if I tamed some of the animals and bred from them? Then I won't have to hunt them anymore. What, what if I cut some of those seeds and, and, and grew them in a certain place? Then I wouldn't have to be going everywhere looking for them. And so what man does is man, man, man wants order. Now why do we want order? Why do we want order? Fine. Okay, life functions better, yeah? It takes the stress out of things. Because we're made in the image of God. And He's a God of order. You know, don't deny it in yourself. It's real. It's there. You like order. Don't get to the place where you, you know, where uh, if you haven't got all the order you want, you can't live. But recognize it's important. That's an important part of life. Get, get, get things ordered, get things organized. I mean, if you ever read Robinson Crusoe, right? Robinson Crusoe is a fascinating story because what happens is he's dumped on an island and he begins to tame the island. He begins to make life work for himself. Right? Um, 
you know and that that's that's what we're about so so what you do intelligent beings look at their life and they say okay now how can i make how can i bring more order out of this how can i make this work better how can i make it work more effectively how can i you know minimize the time i waste doing things and make my time more effective right <clears throat> you know the, the 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 technical term for it would be ergonomics the idea of you know working out how to do things best you know, can, how can I do it better? How can I do things better? How can I be more clever about what I do? Make give myself more time for doing the things that are important to me. <clears throat> order, order does that in your life, right? Uh, <clears throat> okay, all right. Now, having I said all that because I don't want you going off on a bent and thinking, order doesn't matter. Yes, it matters, right? <clears throat> but it can get out of control, and our obsession can go to the place where we get things out of control as far as order is concerned. Now, what you find about when it gets out of control is order helps you be successful in your life. But when it gets out of control, it detracts from the success of your life. You can't do it. You can't do the business of living because you can't get things ordered, right? Um, okay, perfectionistic behaviors. Perfect, perfectionistic behaviors are characterized by a preoccupation with orderliness. In one or more areas of life, in order to control the sense of vulnerability and to extinguish the doubts, they are most often driven by a fear of losing control and accompanied by the pride of accomplishment when successful. Perfectionistic controlling behaviors include several things, right? Um, preoccupation with keeping physical appearances in order. Now, should you keep your physical appearance in order? Please do. All right? Okay? Please do. That, 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 that's important, right? But perfectionistic uh, thinking is, I have to have it perfect. I have to have the perfect matching clothes. I have to have my makeup perfect. I have to have everything just perfect. And if I can't have it perfect, I don't want to go out. I, I can't be seen. If it's not perfect, that's perfectionistic thinking there in the area uh, of physical appearance. Uh, there's a preoccupation with keeping the surroundings in order. I must always have a clean house. Uh, I must vacuum the, the house three times a day. And it just goes on that everything's got to be just so. Now, the order is good, but you know what? When you get to the perfectionistic stage, it's not good. That's not helpful to you. Um, <clears throat> I must redecorate the Christmas tree so that it's perfect after the kids have tried to decorate it. I knew that was fair to put that one in, right? But Jim Berg put it in. Uh, but the idea of, you know, the kids can do it and it looks nice and cute and all the rest of it, but I have to fix it. We couldn't leave it with what they, they do. We've got to have things in order. Um, I must stack every piece of clothing in my dresser drawer so that they are precisely uniform. Now, that, that's helpful. But when it gets to the place where you're perfectionistic about it, where you have to have it just so, or you can't live. It, it, it does two things, right? <clears throat> there's, there's two kind of perfectionists. There's the perfectionist who can actually do it, right? and is proud of the fact that they can do it. It breeds pride. But the other is a frustrated per perfectionist. And there's a lot more frustrated perfectionists than there are people who can actually do it. And a frustrated perfectionist to somebody who believes it should be all perfect. And it's not. And I can't live with it because it's not perfect. And you'll often find the frustrated perf perfectionist won't try things. Because I'd probably fail. So I'm not going to try. <clears throat> because I wouldn't, be able, I wouldn't be able to get it all just perfect. Right? Uh, then there's the preoccupation with keeping performance in order. 
You know, that, that everything I do has to look good and be right now. Listen, I don't know that we, we, we have this issue, but what, what we're talking about now is obsessive thinking, where you get to the place where everything has to be just right. You know, I have to practice and practice and do it. You know, if the cake is not perfect, I have to throw it out and start fresh. You know, I have to get it just perfect. It has to be just right. Uh, a preoccupation with keeping schedules and responsibilities in order. Now, let, let, let me talk about this, right? <clears throat> timekeeping. Is it an issue or isn't it an issue? Why, why, why would timekeeping be an issue? Why is it important? Why is time important? Why is keeping time important? Come on, talk to me here. Pardon? Okay, everything else would run late. Uh, Vincent? Other people are depending uh, upon you. By the way, I heard, I heard a fascinating thing. Um, the, uh, when, they started, when they started a train service in, in England, I think it was effectively, they had to actually uh, centralize time. Until then, they could work by the sun. But the problem is, the sun on one coast gave you a different time than the sun on the other coast. So that you couldn't have that with a train service. A train service had to work according to a clock that was common to everybody. Right? <clears throat> because uh, the train, that's just for nothing by the way, right? That, that, so that was fascinating, right? Uh, okay, um, people are depending on you. Right? Now here's the thing, right? Well, say you all come to church, right? And there's what, 50 people here tonight. And I come 10 minutes late, so the church service doesn't start 10 minutes late. Okay? Now, here's what I've done. I've taken 10 minutes from 50 people, which is how many minutes? 500 minutes. I've stolen 500 minutes of time you could have been doing something else with. Now, we don't tend to think of it that way. But when we hold people up, with our, with our schedules, and we say we'll be here at a certain point, and we're not there, and we're holding people up. That's a problem. We're wasting somebody else's time, so we need to be careful as far as our timekeeping is concerned. Now, we don't need to be ridiculous about it, but we do need to be careful about that. Keeping, keeping, keeping order in your schedule is pretty important. But then there is the other <clears throat> extreme. Um, I must plan it every day in 10-minute increments if I'm to be a good steward of my time. I must keep a list of everything I have done each day so that my husband will appreciate the freedom he gives me to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, nobody's going for that one there, no? <clears throat> um, I must keep the kids on a strict schedule for everything from their wake-up time until bedtime if I am to develop a responsible character uh, in them. I must raise and provide for my family the Walton way. I should bake all my own bread, milk my own goats, sew all the clothes for myself and my children, grow my own garden, can my own fruits and vegetables, and raise my own chickens. All right, now listen, nobody here is doing that. But some of you wish you were. Some of you feel like, oh, I, I wish I could do that. Now, now, think about some of these things, by the way. <clears throat> um, how much time in your life some of those things going to take? And your time's a valu valuable commodity. You know, there, there are certain things you need to look at in your life and say to yourself, is that really worthy of the time it takes me to do? Many of you ever, ever read the book Walden Pond by Henry Thoreau? Henry Thoreau was a philosopher. He maybe read, read the book years ago, right? Uh, but he had, did this experiment. He went and he lived by Walden Pond. And it was an experiment in living simply. And he had this little cabin that he lived in. And he, he, he grew his own food and so on. But he went through everything in his life. And he actually worked out, was it worth keeping in his life? 
Was it actually effective? Was it helping him in his life? And he got rid of loads of things out of his life. And he lived simply. And that was an experiment. He didn't do it for all his life. He did, did it for a certain period. And it was an experiment and the book com comes out of it. But you know what you need to do sometime? You need to look at your life and the way you spend your time and ask yourself, am I spending it wisely? You know, is this really what I want to do? Is this really that important to me? It's taking 10% of my time. Is it 10% of my life? Is it worthy of that? And, and make changes to your life on that basis. <clears throat> because your time is an important commodity. You need to kind of work it out so that you're spending it well. You know, sometimes <clears throat> we do things that are just not convenient for us. Right? <clears throat> Um, Val will not <laughs> will not have linen shirts in the house because they're too hard to iron. Right? Now, <clears throat> I appreciate that. Well, you know, it just you know, if it's going to take that much time and it's not worth doing, then let's not do it. The same thing is true in your life, though. There are certain things you just got to weigh them up. Is it worth the time? Is it worth the time I'm spending on it? Because what you'll find is you'll find you'll Spend time <clears throat> doing something in your life that's not that important, and you'll take it from things that are that important to do it. That's not wise. Think it through. Sit down and work out how you spend your time and how you spend your life. Uh, it's important, but don't come to the place where you're, <clears throat> where you're uh, obsessive and compulsive about it. And then we have compulsive behaviors. Compulsive, compulsive behaviors are excessive, repetitive activities that seem to give a temporary relief from the ob obsessive thoughts that plague the mind. Right, so we do things. These behaviors are performed even when the negative effects are experienced. Valuable time is wasted. Relationships are destroyed. Work performance declined. Health is compromised. And spiritual life is hindered because I've got to do these things. Right. <clears throat> um, ritualistic behaviors. Repeated hand washing. Extended shower routines. Checking and rechecking locks. Sto cooker controlled, electrical sockets, test answers, touching certain items in a precise sequence before leaving a room or performing certain routines before driving, repeatedly asking for assurances of love and forgiveness and so on. These behaviors should be no surprise to us. Ritual is at the heart of every man-made attempt to quiet a guilty or a fearful heart. Then there's destructive behavior, self-inflicted injury, cutting, burning, um, <clears throat> uh, standing up for hours, doing all kinds of things that are not good for us, starving self, anorexia. But by the way, Think of anorexia. What is anor what's the heart of anorexia? And bulimia and all those eating disorders. Yeah. It's, it's not even just that because what happens is the body goes way beyond the place of perfect and someone's still pushing. You know, it may start in the, in, in the quest for a perfect body. But what is it that, that, that pushes it? Okay, it's self-harming. Punishing yourself. The idea of somehow controlling it all. I can control this. I can actually get control of this. And a couple of things for us to, to, to understand. But let's take the idea, the idea of weight. Do you realize that we're made in all sorts, shapes, sizes, and descriptions? There are big people, there are small people, there are bigger built people, and there are smaller built people. <clears throat> And what our world universally has done, and not just in our age, but very particularly in our age, is try to fit everybody into the same mold. We don't fit in the same mold. We just don't. 
And it's amazing. The mold has changed through the centuries. We don't fit particularly for women. You know, you're, you're, you're forced into this mold. Now listen, you know, if you're a skinny in this day and age, you looked out, so to speak. But you know what? You can't force yourself into another body type that's just not yours. You don't have that kind of control. You can try if you like, but it won't work. You can't do it. You know, some of the contortions they want women to get into in this day and age, you know, isn't they're impossible. It's, 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 it's totally impossible. And what you got to, really what you got to make peace with is this. God made me a certain way. God made me a certain way. And he made me a certain way for a purpose. He wants me this way, so, so I'm going to be this way. And I'm going to rejoice and accept being the way God made me. Right? Now, then there's a health angle. Right? And um, you, know, you look at the health angle, you, you try, try to be healthy. That's a different issue altogether than this idea of how you're going to look. Yeah, but you need to try and be, you need to seek to be healthy because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're the steward of this temple. You need to take that and look at it and, you know, take issue with that. I want, I want my body to be healthy. You know, healthy and looking like the models say you should look aren't the same thing. They're two different things entirely. You know, but healthy is the one that's important. And we need to be careful that we're not drawn in by the, by the spirit of our age and we don't end up getting, getting to the place where, you know, we're seeking to make all this happen, right? Because uh, it's control again. And here's the thing. And let me say this to you, ladies. You may achieve a body type that's not yours for a short while. But keeping it for your lifetime is next to impossible. It really is. It's next to impossible. You know, <clears throat> what you've got to understand is if you're looking for a body type that somebody else has prescribed for you, you're barking up the wrong tree. If you get before the Lord and say, Lord, I am your temple. My body is your temple. I want to keep it right. Lord, would you help me? Now you're on solid ground. Now you're on good ground where you're asking God to help you and you and God are in line on something trying to achieve something that's important to him uh, as well as to you. And you're not looking to control it now. It's in his hands. And you're in the right place. You're looking for him to help you with it. Um, <clears throat> okay, avoidance behaviors. We'll do anything to escape the feeling of being overwhelmed. Escape to isolation. Um, <clears throat> or escape to pleasure. You know, avoiding responsibility. I, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. You know, I know I should be this and this and this, but I can't do all that. So, you know what I'm going to do? That? I, I, I'm going to just... Be on my own. I'm going to escape to pleasure and feel good. Right? <clears throat> Avoidance behavior that comes up. So the conclusion, anxiety is the fear that I will not get what I need or want. It is driven by unbelief and discontent. That's why anxiety is always portrayed in the Bible as a spiritual problem. It's never a physical problem. It's never a mental problem. It's a spiritual problem. Remember we started off Labor to enter into rest. What we need is we need rest. Rest comes when I'm in my right place and God's in his place. He's in charge. He's the boss. So much in my life I can't control. 
mean, <clears throat> I'd like to live for another 30 or 40 years if that's God's will, but you know what? I don't know. I don't have any way of working that out. I, I'd like to be healthy for the years I have to live. Right? But I don't know. Out of my control. But I do know this. I know God. And I know it's in His control. And I know He'll take care of me whatever He asks me to, to go through. Now, then I'm in the right place. I'm going to plan to be healthy and live long, but I'm going to recognize I'm in His hands. Ultimately, He's in control. Now I'm in the right place. Now I'm doing what I should do, and I'm depending upon Him to do what He should do. And what that does is that removes the anxiety from the situation. It's not the stress of, I'm an abject failure, I can't get anything together. It's not the, the anxiety of, I have to keep it all together perfect. It's, no, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and Lord, I'm going to leave the rest in your hands and depend upon you. And that's the place where I can live. And that's the place where I was intended to live. That's the place of rest. All right, any questions quick before we close? Well, no, I think, yes. But, but, but here's the thing. That ought not to be the driving motive. And particularly, and it's not so much for guys, right? but particularly for women, what's, what's put up before them is this is what you're supposed to look like. Now, that's fine if that's what God intended you to look like and that's what God made you look like. That's fine. But if God made you to look like something else, you know, you're never going to be like that. And it's going to breed huge anxiety in your life when you're going after something that is impossible for your body type, not what God intended you to be. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not wrong to be healthy and to try and look well, that's fine. But it's trying to fit yourself into the mold of the world. When the world says, size zero, or whatever it is that the world is on right now, <clears throat> when the world says that's the size you're supposed to be, that's not going to happen. You know, for most real flesh and blood women, that, that's not going to happen. And yet the world is putting that on them. That that's what they have to be. And that's why you have... That, that anxiety spawns all these disorders. You know, and when you think about it, anorexia is madness, isn't it? Why would somebody starve their body of the nutrients it desperately needs and kill themselves? I mean, they do kill themselves. You know, that, that, that is, but it's a disorder that's brought on by anxiety, by wanting to control something that really you're not in control of. Not on that level, anyway. So yes, try and look well, that's good. Um, but the reality is, no, that, that, that ought not to be our preoccupation. And certainly we ought not to let society tell us, this is what you're supposed to look like, because this is what we've decided uh, in 2014 is the way a woman should look or a man should look. No. Because we're all different. We're all completely different. God intended it that way. Right? <clears throat> Anybody else? Let me know we're going to come to church early, on, early next on Sunday morning. Yeah? Sunday school, all the classes will be full at, uh, at 10.15, which are tea drunk and everything else will be ready. Yeah? You got this one. Okay, good. All right. Uh, I feel satisfied now that, 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 that we actually got, the, got this one nailed down tonight, right? Anything else, though, uh, that you want to ask about? Or you want to bring up? Like, like I was saying, I don't think most of us suffer with these things, but I tell you what, uh, 
I'll be amazed if, they, if at some point something I said didn't kind of catch you and you think, oh yeah, I could be like that. Right? <clears throat> the thing is, God is in control. We're not. When we leave it in his hands, we're safe. When we try and take control of that which only God can control, we get anxious and fretful. And when we get anxious and fretful, we can end up in the place where we destroy ourselves. And, you know, we can let the obsessive thinking go to the place where it actually does do us damage. (coughs) All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this, your people. Lord, would you bless your word to us? Help us, Lord, we pray, uh, to walk with you and to know your presence and your power, uh, even in these uh, tough situations in life. In Jesus' name, amen.